Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash podcast, all one word. To speak to a customer service representative, press one. If hearing something like this strikes fear into your body, you're far from alone. Dealing with customer service on both ends of the phone can be an incredibly harrowing experience. Fortunately, we've got Nick Glimsdahl here today, who is an expert in the field. He's aka Press One for Nick, and he's going to tell us all kinds of healthy tips for dealing with customers in customer service, being a better customer and all sorts of other things in between. So let's get into the conversation with Nick Limsdahl. Okay, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. I'm Tony Bocigalupo. And I am Jillian Benbow. So when we talk about business, you know, we talk, we always talk about like pain points, right? Like how can you fix someone's pain? And, you know, just hearing about Nick's existence and that his, you know, that his like internet handle is press one for Nick. I just love that he's just leaned right into this nasty morass of pain that is customer service. <laughs> Way to sell it. <laughs> no, but like what else is there that's more obviously universally painful for really for people you know, on both ends of the phone that, you know, customer service can be a very painful thing, but maybe it doesn't have to be. So I just love that he's really leaned into that. And I'm excited for us to get into the conversation with him. Uh, Joe, what are you excited to talk about? Nick is great. He's just a great human. And so it's always fun to talk to him and customer service and community and even employee experience. They all overlap a lot. Like a lot of the tactics, a lot of the best practices and whatnot are very similar. So I was really excited to talk to talk to Nick and talk about kind of the, mostly, you know, like customer service and how some of the things that are going on there are also going on in community. And basically like, let's share notes and let's see how we make our communities, our customer bases, et cetera, just the best they can be through excellent communication and services. Yeah. Online community management is essentially, you know, being at the end of that phone tree just all the time that, you know, you're going to get this continuous flow of communication, have to deal with the boundaries you have to set and, you know, how to make people ultimately feel better. Yeah. It's a huge part of the job. It's, you know, not all inclusive, but it's certainly a big, a big part. Well, and I think with the right boundaries, you can maintain your ability to talk to people and, not, you know, not get yourself in a place where you let yourself get really hurt. And I think that's one of the things I'm excited for us to cover in this as well is just as a community manager, as a, a customer service rep, how do you set your own boundaries and take care of yourself so that you don't burn out? Setting expectations and maintaining boundaries are two of the biggest things to do in these sorts of roles to keep yourself fresh. So what do you say, Jill? Let's do it. Let's fire it up. Welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. And today we have a wonderful guest, Nick Glimsdahl. 
Welcome, Nick. Press one for Nick. Yeah, thank you. It's press one for Nick. Press one for press Nick. Press one for Nick. <laughs> Beep. What happens if you press two? What do we get? What happened? The world should should find out. But, you know, I think it's really, really good things on top of hitting one. But you have to hit one first and then you have to hit two. The key is to hit one and then just go crazy. Just start pushing buttons. Exactly. So, Nick, tell our audience what... What happens when they press one? What is press one slash one two for Nick? <laughs> so press one for Nick, we focus on customer service and customer experience. We bring on guests. So it's anywhere from international hostage negotiators. I just brought on the CEO of Success Magazine to talk about storytelling. I've brought on the guy who ran Magic Kingdom at Disney. And, and the whole goal is to inform and inspire people around customer service and customer experience and kind of get them interested in focusing back on the customer. And, you know, my mission is all about like having fun serving others. If I can do that on that journey and add value to others and be a little bit out of the box, that's the kind of the goal that I'm going for. You know, I'm all about this. And actually, Nick and I, when we first connected, just totally immediately started dorking out about you know, the Venn diagram overlap between what community experience and customer experience mean. And so many people use those terms interchangeably. So I'd love to just dive into that. Um, But quickly, Nick, what got you, what got you like passionate about this? What, what sort of sparked this for you as something you wanted to focus on? So four years ago, I kind of got into an organization where I was, I'm a consultant on the contact center side. And the more you lean into that call center contact center space or customer service space, you realize that it's not just about that, it's about the customer experience. So then I Googled customer experience and then I opened up Pandora's box and you can't really shut it when it's when it's opened. And so then it, it led to me to to start writing, to start speaking on customer service and customer experience. And then the old pandemic hit. I don't know if you guys have heard of this thing called the pandemic. Uh, yeah, it's it's new, I think. <laughs> so a, little, a bread. Uh, I was trying to. F- yeah, exactly. It's a new bread. It's buttered twice. Delicious. Yeah, exactly. So, and I was like, how do I find ways to add value to others without me being like everybody else? And I can go send them an awesome email, or and spend twenty minutes on that, and it's not going to add a whole lot of traction. Or I can find ways to interview other people and build my brand along the way. Yeah. So it's been, it's been awesome. I'm, I'm up to, I think, I don't know, 120 some episodes as of today. That's amazing. And you've had some amazing guests. Yeah. And I think it's, like I said, I, I kind of mentioned at the beginning, but yeah, it's, uh, you think of a guy like Chris Voss, who was an international FBI hostage negotiator, and he would go and anytime there was a huge, crazy bank robber or if somebody took somebody in a different country, he'd be the main guy to go talk to. And I think he was by far my longest episode because who's going to tell an international hostage negotiator to stop talking? <laughs> His book is amazing too, if anybody's interested. It's yeah, all about... Yeah, it's called uh, Never Split the Difference. Yes. It's, a, it's an amazing book. It's really, it's re- yeah, he tells a lot of, for li- I mean, I guess it's literal, but lack of a better term, like war stories. And uh it's it's fascinating and anybody that's just into like psychology and uh psychology personality i was i was way into it um i want to touch on call centers because one of my first like after college jobs was at a call center for a ski resort helping people book their vacations and i hope to never 
do that again. I still have PTSD when I my phone rings and I don't know who it is, which, you know, like everyone, I just don't answer. But um, people can be incredibly mean on the phone, no less. I'm curious your thoughts on just that whole, just the whole culture in call centers and how people treat people in call centers. Yeah. Well, you're not alone. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Uh, the, the, the tough part about the customer service is nobody's going to call into a customer service department and say, hey, Jillian, I just want to let you know, I love your product. I love your service. I love your company. And you know, th- things are going real good. I like the price. Exactly. And I hope you have a great day. Air high five. It's I'm on fire and I just listened to the Rocky soundtrack and I'm going to do everything possible to make your life miserable. You know, when it comes to that and you understand that with when it comes to your your customers, how can you be the best part of their day? And it's not necessarily agreeing with them. It's hearing them out and understanding where they're at today and why they're calling and what's making them frustrated. Even Chris Voss, if I go back to him for a minute, he's like, it's it's about tactical empathy. He's like, just hearing them out. It's talking about like, it sounds like it seems like it feels like you're going through this. It seems like we let you down. It seems like we didn't meet your expectations. When you relate to them on a different level and you hear them out and you give them that minute to talk and shout and drop any bomb that they want, then you tell them how you're going to solve their problem. But if you do it at the very beginning and just say, hey, man, just just stop talking. I already know your your issue and I know how to solve it. That doesn't solve it for the person. They don't feel complete. Because uh, another guy on my podcast, he says, unaddressed emotions never die. Will you say that again? Unaddressed emotions never die. I wanted to write it down. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, and it's great, but customer service is, is tough. When it comes to that customer service representative, how are you making it as easy as possible for that representative to solve the problem and the least amount of effort for that customer? And on average, that contact center, um, a representative has to deal with 12 to 14 applications at one time per interaction. And so it's also frustrating for the employee because not is he, only is he getting yelled at or he or she is getting yelled at, but he's still, they have to look at these applications, have some type of empathy interaction and try to solve the problem while sporadically going and putting themselves on mute. Right. And it's often so beyond. I mean, I know for me, people would be, whatever their problem was, I didn't always have the ability to fix it. So there was a lot of people that had to get involved and they want it fixed now, or at least like verbal promise, right? And that's not always the case. So if you're listening, the next time you're talking to someone on the phone and they're that person is doing their job, just give them a break. They're human. But I wanted to relay this into broader community because this is something that comes up a lot in communities and something I hel- I've been helping a lot of people who have started communities deal with in conflict resolution because the fact of the matter is a community and and kind of a busy community, like the more successful you are, the more likely this may happen. Like there's going to be an argument or there's going to be an issue, whether it's a billing issue or members doing things that create an issue. And this, this concept of tactical empathy is absolutely the same strategy I use when someone's in your community is mad about something or frustrated. And that's like, hear them out, give them whether they're right or wrong per the situation, let them vent and say all the things and have their moment. 
And then (laughs) once they've taken a breath, you know, then start getting into the problem solving or the expectation management or whatever it is. Um, So I really love that because I think that's something like many things that just really aligns when you're considering customer versus community member. Because again, there's some overlap there. Yeah, I can't imagine going through and building that community. And as they continue to rise, you continue to have to say, keep that same experience as the organization grows, as the community grows. And so there's going to be some rifts along the way. And how are you going to address those? Because like I said at the beginning, and it's Derek Gaunt, I just remembered that unaddressed emotions never die. If they don't die inside that community or inside that comment or inside that small sidebar, they're going to continue to build and frustrate more people. And the last thing you want somebody to do is send a nasty gram to somebody else saying, this is why you shouldn't join that community. Oh, absolutely. I'm furiously taking notes. <laughs> I'm actually, for those listening, pulling up the interview that you had with Derek Gaunt, which is in your govds.com website and your podcast episode 14. Amazing stuff. And, you know, I want to say just from the language perspective, I've studied nonviolent communication, which I'm sure, Nick, you're familiar with. And one of the techniques that they use is this idea of getting the person to say yes. So it's a nice practice. And the idea is that you're getting yourself aligned. So if a person comes in, comes in hot, right? And they're saying like, oh, this is wrong and that's broken and this is wrong. Then, you know, if you can you know, not get defensive, you know, not let your own emotions come in and just say, okay. So it sounds like what you're saying is that you found this to be wrong and this to be broken and this to be wrong. And the person's like, yes. And then that made you mad because this, and they say, yes. And then the more common ground you establish, the more likely it is that you're going to have a healthy outcome. Is that the kind of stuff that you try to help people to understand? Yeah, you're totally right. But if you think of the person who is frustrated with that interaction before they even call or interact in some type of channel, how does that make them feel? It makes them feel known and valued when Tony takes that time to listen to him and ask that clarifying question. It seems like you're going through this, right? It sounds like we we didn't meet expectations. Here's what we're going to do for you today. And I immediately feel known and valued and I will tell others about that community. Yeah. It seems like, you know, active listening is a huge part of it. Like you have to hear what they're saying and then almost like repeat it back to them so that they can very like obviously know like this person understands me because they were able to say it back. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I swear this isn't a Chris Voss episode, but he talks about mirroring, which is the last three to five words of somebody's sentence. The last three or four words of somebody's sentence. And then that gets them to continue to that conversation. And I, I think Tony's understands what I'm talking about with this training that he's gone through. That he's gone through. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm wondering, Nick, to get a little bit into kind of like bigger picture societal insights, we talk a lot about loneliness and the need people have to find anywhere where there's somebody who will listen to them and understand them. And I know sometimes, you know, there are kind of like people who call all the time about everything and you start to wonder whether the person 
really needs to be calling or whether they're just trying to pick up the phone to talk to anybody. Boundaries. <laughs> have you have you got any insight into that? Like, do you get a sense that there are people who are just calling because they need someone to talk to? And how do you deal with that? Yeah, there was an example of a very large insurance company of an 86-year-old woman who would continue to call every single day about a quote-unquote issue, right? It's in, in saying, hey, can I talk to Tony because uh, he really didn't solve my problem? And then it goes back to Tony again. He's like, hey, Julie, how's it going? And she just like chats with them for a quick minute because she was lonely and she was bored and she knew that Tony was going to pick the phone up. In that case, I mean, if they are not a client, that's a whole nother issue. But if they are a client, then just give them a little love as long as you're not going to sit on a phone call for, for 30 minutes. I mean, Zappos, if you think of their experience, which is phenomenal, they have literally inside the their call centers, call us about anything. Somebody can be in California and say, where can I get pizza in San Francisco? Who has the best deep dish or who has the best sausage pizza? And that contact center will search for it on their behalf, no questions asked, and give them a response. And people start going and, and testing this out. And I think the more that you're not just a contact center, you're a customer engagement center. It, it's finding ways to engage with your customers and adding value to them. And it may not be hitting your customer experience or customer service metric, your average handle time, or your customer satisfaction score is, is definitely higher. But what's important to the organization and how much effort is it going to take to answer that, that lady's question, the, the lady's comment, hey, I just want to let you know, that everything's going well, that, you know, I made a ham sandwich today, like whatever that 86-year-old lady was saying, she was probably not making a ham sandwich every every day. Hey, you never know. But never know. It kind of goes back to the Zappos experience. Like, how do you continue to add value? And eventually they might or may not buy shoes from you. I really want to just like call them right now. If I knew how to do that and record it, you know, I think that would be really fun. <laughs> so this plays into a lot of things because... There's a lot of pressure if you work in a customer experience role, especially in these classic like call center, help desk type roles. There's a, a time, you know, there's an expectation of you can solve the problem in X amount of steps or this amount of time. You're expected to make this many sales. You're expected to, you know, all these things that kind of measure your value as an employee. And you also focus on employee experience. So I'm interested in your thoughts about how that works from the the company side. Like, as you mentioned, Zappos kind of has a, a great way that they go about it. And it's not so impersonal, I guess is a good way. Like, like many customer service heavy organizations have with the, with the metrics. But I wonder if you want to talk a little bit more about the flip side of that, the employee experience side and, and how we can help the companies we work for maybe be more human. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love that you touched on that because the employee experience, the way that you treat your employees is a direct correlation to how your employees will treat your customers. And so what are you going to do to drive uh, their organization forward? What's their growth pattern for their professional roadmap? What do they care? What do they value? How are you providing surveys, maybe pull surveys for these employees? Just giving them the ability to have a voice as well. And not necessarily just because they want to be heard doesn't mean you're going to implement everything that they're going to say, because that would be a hot mess. But it's truly understanding what that employee experience is and driving ways to improve the efficiencies. It's it's the people process and technology, right? It's 
it's not always technology. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's integration, sometimes it's just creating and reducing friction. I 100% agree that if you're not 100% focused on the employee first, I would say too many organizations are focused on that customer experience. And I call it the pixie dust and fairy tales. Like everybody talks about customer experience, not enough organizations actually lean into it, measure it. But you shouldn't just talk about it. Uh, you should actually lean into the employee experience as well. It's it's huge. And I think churn rates will reflect how well you're doing that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's that. But it's, in addition to that, it's somebody's going to pay you 50 cents more per hour and they're going to give you a better experience and they give you the ability to work from home. Now, instead of going in downtown, work in the office, wear a shirt and tie and pay for parking. Yeah, I'm going to take that 25 cent bump or 50 cent bump to work from home. No problem. Absolutely. I'm curious your thoughts, because it does seem like especially call centers, you know, and, and in this bread pandemic that we're in. <laughs> I was thinking Panera. That's why I mentioned bread. And now I can't stop thinking about bread because it's my soulmate. But <laughs> <laughs> so like the pandemic has really accelerated as a society, just kind of the ability to work from home and shown that it can be done. And our company, SPI Media, we are fully remote anyways, you know, so it's it's just another day for us, which is fantastic. And I'm I'm a huge advocate of remote work, but call centers in particular, this is a industry, this is a type of work that absolutely can be done from home with pretty minimal tech requirements. Are you seeing that that shift move towards the more flexible remote work lifestyle? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's a couple of things. It's there's so much legacy technology where it was on premise where you actually had to work in the office. And then this bread pandemic hit and then you needed to push everybody home and connect to a VPN. And if the VPN didn't connect, then you were kind of hosed on that experience. So everybody was kind of rushing to improve technology so that you gave the ability to work from home and not have to connect to the VPN. In addition to that, people are now saying, hey, I've been working from home for the last year and a half, and this is all right. Like, I don't have to drive in 45 minutes a day. I get to make my kids soccer game. And yeah, I get to still jump in on later and maybe do some cleanup on the reporting or something else. But I now have flexibility. And if you're going to make me go back into that environment in, in another six months, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to find an organization that will, that will push me into that. I, and I think the reason why organizations didn't like the, the work from home is because they, they think that they lost control. Well, what happens if they're going to put their dog for a walk or going to a cooking class or taking yoga on their other computer. Yeah, I think that's true. But you can, if anything, inside the contact center, you have more metrics and measurements than you know what to do with more than any other organization or any other department that is working for you. And so if your sales team is working from home, how do you know that they're being just as productive and efficient with their time? Which, you know, I feel like it's a mindset shift. Right. And some people have to be willing to do it or not. Uh, the ones who are willing or were proactive about it are going to have, you know, the advantage. And I think we're now dealing, you know, the, the phrase great resignation and the fact that that phrase is becoming a thing right at the same time as a lot of people are being nudged back into offices, I don't think is a complete coincidence. But it does speak to that larger issue of thinking about the experience of the employee and 
the humanity of the employee, which I feel like we don't talk enough about. I know I've spent a lot of time in offices where I really needed to not be there, maybe just because I was tired or because I had other stuff I had to do. And being there probably made me less productive because I couldn't take care of my needs. I imagine there's there's still a lot of ground to cover there. Yeah, I think the one thing that organizations fail to do, or even people just in general, sometimes when they just think that they're shouting at a social media platform instead of another human, they will have more nasty grams towards them. And I think the same is true when you interact with somebody on a channel with an organization. If you don't realize that you're, you're a human doing business with other humans and interacting with another human and they have emotions and they have frustrations as well, that you will treat them different. You know, maybe there should just be a picture of that other person on the other side of the line so that you know you just have a different perspective of that. I would 100% agree with that, Tony. One of the things I do to help humanize folks when we are doing kind of like large online video gatherings is I have them show their favorite or show their pets, you know, or their loved like little like kids or anything, but usually their pets, the dogs and cats. And it, it's amazing how quickly it humanizes people. So maybe we could have, you know, like, good afternoon, this is Nick and my pet's name is Fluffy and uh, she's a you know, a four-year-old black calico cat, you know, or whatever it is that <laughs> just like some little extra bit of trivia about the person to be like, oh, you're a human too. That's great. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're a human. What? <laughs> you're not a robot. What? Coming back to actually the experience of somebody who deals with people and a call center person is a, you know, probably one of the maximum examples of this. But this happens throughout business and especially community builders. Community builders bear the brunt of the emotional labor of their, their organization. How can people be taught to set the boundaries that they need so that you know, regardless of what they encounter throughout the day, they can manage it as well as they can, but then that you know, they can be done at the end of the day and, and really be able to kind of get it out of their system and be happy to come back to work the next day. I think that's the hardest part of working remotely. I'm, I've been working from home for the last four years now, so pre-pandemic. And at the end of the day, I'll go up and I'll just have this handy-dandy phone next to me that just happens to have my email on it and my social media on it. And I'm just going to check one quick thing. But if you actually set boundaries and you put your phone in your bedroom for two hours and you, you put it to bed, then you have the ability to kind of cut off, uh, don't have your, your watch connected to your phone so that, or take your watch off. Like there's got to be clear boundaries and there's has to be the ability to release. Uh, if you can't take that time to release and if it's going for a walk or hanging out with the fam or, you know, playing a sport or doing something that you would enjoy, you're going to be con constantly connected to it and it's going to be hard to let go. But if you're not going to set clear boundaries and you can put your phone, uh, set alerts where you don't, you, you put your phone in, on uh, sleep mode where you're not going to get alerts on that. I do that as well. I do my best to, to put it away from at least the, the from five-ish to when the kids go to bed because I'm like, you know, I have literally an hour and a half to, to spend with them per day of the 24 hours. It's not easy. It sounds simple. Doesn't make it easy. And I get the sense there has to be institutional buy-in as well. 
that what you're saying is true and right. And also it's a lot easier to do if you see that your fellow employees are also doing it. They're not, you know, uh, part they're, they're not like messaging after hours or something where you feel a social pressure to do the same. And certainly from leadership as well. Um, it's one of the things that I see, uh, SPI do really well is that our leadership, um, never messages us after hours, (laughs) you know, like they never even like post like silly links in the fun channel or like they're like people, you know, do a really good job of setting boundaries and leading by example. I have to imagine that that's one of the things you try to, you know, share with leaders as well. Are people receptive to that? Like, do people get the importance of that? Yeah. I think now more than ever, right. Is, is mental health starts becoming an issue of, of improving the organization from the inside out. Uh, I think you have to. There was a, a guy who was a regional uh, president of a pretty large organization I had lunch with the other day. And he's like, yeah, I am a night owl. And I also like working on the weekends in the real early in the weekends. He's like, but when I send an email, I send it with a timer that says I'm going to, it's going to receive, send it to Jillian at 8 a.m. on Monday. So that it doesn't look like I'm sending an email at two o'clock at in the morning on a Saturday, because he's like, I want to respect people's time. And just because that I'm sending an email at this time, I don't want them to feel like they have to do the same. That's amazing. It could, I could also see how people who work too much could use that as a way to work too much and be like, no, I sent it on a Monday. It's fine. I wasn't working on the weekend when it's like, stop, but I get hit that person's intention. That's um. That's sweet. I know I struggle with our with our company Slack because we're all genuinely friends. Like we like each other as humans, whether we're at work or not. So if something funny happens or whatever, we'll often post things, you know, on the weekend or off hours. And, you know, we're we cross many time zones. So an appropriate time for me to post may not be an appropriate time for Tony to get tagged. I think we're good about not tagging each other um, off hours. And we're good about having the notifications. I'm basically just justifying do things in Slack at, at weird times. <laughs> Forgive me, Tony. <laughs> Some well, jokes can't well, wait. Well, no, and it's it's totally okay because part of it is if you set the example, then the occasional message after hours or whatever, it doesn't matter because we've already set kind of a, a clear cultural expectation. It's very, very different from you know, my boss is messaging me at 9 p.m. asking me about urgent things that they need for the meeting at 9 a.m. The, you know, the next morning. Yeah. The one thing I would say on top of that, too, is if you don't feel comfortable with sending that email or, uh, on the weekend and you want your leadership to respect you as well, tell them in the most uh, respectful way possible. Say, when do you expect this back? Uh, does Is this a that I should respond today or uh, would it be okay uh, if I could respond Monday at 10 a.m. And setting those clear boundaries and then explaining the why. Yeah. And meaning it. Yeah. It's almost like generational, right? When I think of like Dick Van Dyke show era and stuff and there was this real like, oh, the boss is coming for dinner. You know, we got to, it has to be perfect and whatever. And it was a very, very clear hierarchy And I think we're moving into uh, roles that are a little more collaborative in general. And this isn't every industry. I know at our company, it's very much this way. And I think that's why we love it. But 
you know, it, it is that like people should feel comfortable asking clarifying questions to their boss and even pushing back if, if appropriate. Right. So if the boss comes in and is like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and need you to come in on Saturday and, and Sunday too. And to be like, well, I have plans because those are our days off. That's a really bad extreme example, but you know what I mean? Like to just be like, realistically, I can get this to you at this date, but whatever the original deadline was like, I'm going to have to drop the ball on something else. So what do you want me to do? You know, and just being able to kind of go back and forth and find something that works for both people, because again, human, not robot. I love that you just gave an office space example. <laughs> I did, but I couldn't get the quote perfect. I was like, so oh, what amazing. Is mm, yeah, I did want to I want to shift gears real quick just to talk about because, um, again, this is very common in community as well as customer experience. But I kind of want to touch on something I know a lot of newer community builders especially have a hard time with, which is back to the fighting and um, specifically de-escalation. So I know if you're helping, you know, doing consulting work and whatnot with call centers. I know you know all about this. So we did talk about um, the tactical empathy, but I'm curious if you could maybe go into just some like some broad level, like best practices tips. If you were training a group of employees who are going to have to deal with fighty people and just like the best guidance you have for in those situations, how to deescalate things quickly. It helps to ask open-ended questions. If you can help understand more about, because sometimes what they're saying isn't necessarily what they mean or what they really mean. And that was doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But what I mean by that is when they have emotion first and they don't actually have all of their stuff in order, it helps to understand the entire story, the holistic journey of where they're coming from. I'm going to totally botch of, of who actually said this, but uh, it's it's acknowledging them, it's understanding them, and then it's resolving their problem. And if you can do those three things and actually ask those uh, those clarifying questions for them, it helps kind of alleviate some of that pain. And to be honest, you're, there's going to be some people that, that throw up these that are in your face and they want everything now and they want it for free and you're just not going to please them. And that's okay, right? But if you have to try and you have to hear them out, because maybe eventually they'll come back, but they're always going to help them under there. They're going to talk about the way that you made them feel, even though you didn't agree with them. And, you know, they're almost certainly used to being treated as people that people usually just want to rush off the phone as quickly as possible. You know, so if you give them a different experience, even if they never tell you that they're happy about their experience, you're going to stand in contrast to what their usual experience is. Yeah. And I think one thing as a, as an employee, as a customer service rep, Tony, you mentioned mindset and Jillian, you mentioned not being one answering the call when you're in the call center. How do you change that mindset where instead of saying, I have to take that call, say, I get to, I get to help solve that problem for that customer today. And at the end of the day, I want to be, the best part of their day. I want to be the the conversation that they, they tell at the dinner table with the fam because of the experience that, that that I gave them. And I didn't necessarily solve their problem. There's certainly something to say about a mind frame shift, the like the dread versus the opportunity. So especially going further with the, the call center 
examples and analogy, but anybody listening, if you're like, well, I don't work in a call center and I don't plan to, I think a lot of this is just very practical (laughs) help for just situations with other humans, which we all are in every day, especially if you get off, you have a an experience, a situation that sucks, right? Like someone's screaming at you, you can't fix anything. You can just kind of try to reframe how you're looking at things. I know I've done this with all sorts of silly things. I have um, generalized anxiety disorder and something that used to really stress me out, like, like I would lose sleep at night was this one intersection where I live because it's really hard to turn left and people are really mean if you do it wrong. I mean, you know, or just like get the timing off or, or whatever. And then there's pedestrians. It's just this whole thing. Like that seriously gave me so much dread. And I know that's silly. It's part of the reason why it's a diagnosed thing, but, but I, I changed my, how I thought about it to be like, Ooh, I can't wait to see what happens today. More like an observer instead of a participant. And I changed along with medication, it changed everything. Like it's not that big of a deal anymore. So that's a non-call center example of like how you can put that into your everyday at that scary intersection that needs a light. Well, I think all of us have a scary intersection story. Yeah. Regardless of what that is, if it's literally an intersection or if it's a figurative intersection of, I got to figure out where I want to go and am I going to turn left or am I going to turn right? And I have a big decision in front of me and sometimes even the smallest things of where I'm going to eat to where's my next job going to be because I have multiple opportunities now to how do I increase my community because I'm struggling. Everybody's going to have that intersection of making that decision. And it is all up to that mindset. Totally. I like that we just coined the scary intersection. (laughs) Press two to tell Nick your scary intersection story. (laughs) I should just have a voicemail of pressing two. That would be funny. I would maybe prank call that all the time. <laughs> yes, hello. <laughs> it's me. This Schmillian. is not Jillian this time. I'm making a ham sandwich. <laughs> uh, Have you ever played with like, uh, oh God, Twilio or any of those kind of like phone tree services? You could have a lot of fun doing exactly what we're talking about. Oh my gosh. That would be pretty advanced. I, I see a new future in industry for SPI. Oh yeah. <laughs> the SPI phone line. Get lost, get lost in the branches. Nick, what? So let's flip it. Like say, so I hate calling into call centers because I know it's a painful role. And especially like you call in, you usually with a problem, right? And so you're like, oh, it's going to happen. Like I was triple charged for something or whatever it is, right? So let's, let's flip the script and give like a couple like examples of how to be effective when calling into a call center? Like, what do you wish everyone knew when they call into, or just not even a call center, but just customer service? Yeah. Let's help our customer service friends out here. (laughs) If you are a consumer of a product or service, hear them out. Explain to them that you understand that it's not their problem, that you know that they didn't create the product. They, you know that they didn't sell them that service, but you just happen to be the person that they're interacting with today. And so give them that time, share that, explain to them that they're, Hey, I understand you are, you are frustrated or I'm frustrated, but it's not toward you. Talk to them in a typical, like how you would normally talk in your tone of voice and 
explain to them the situation and then just ask them for help or say, how do you suppose we should solve this and make it collaborative? And sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not going to work, but at least kind of flipping the script, how do you make your conversation with that representative the best part of their day? Hey. It's amazing sometimes how easy it is to make somebody's day. So easy. It's really like I really have tried to practice this. I actually try to practice this when I'm in a bad mood because I just find that there's I can tap into my bad mood energy to be like extra nice. I know that like if I'm dealing with somebody, you know, the CVS pharmacy people are like they deal with endless barrages of miserable people all day. And maybe the best thing I could do is just like do my thing, complete the transaction and get the heck out of there as quickly as possible. <laughs> but it's, you know, just to be like, Hey, you know, I'm going to actually catch the name on your name tag and, you know, use your name to tell you like, Hey, Nick, have a great day. Just to like drop a little teensy bit of humanity into their experience. I love that. And I think what you should do too, is if, somebody actually went above and beyond and helped you out more than what you expected, tell their supervisor, give them a kudos so that the supervisor has the ability to share it with others internally. Then they think they feel like they're going to be the hero anytime that a consumer does that. And they get this like kudos or they get to pick from the candy jar or whatever that the thing is, but it makes them feel really good for a, for a period of time. So continue to do that. It's so easy to forget, too, that we can do that, right? Like you just, unless they ask, like often there's like a survey on your receipt or whatever, but you forget about it. I know I try anytime I use a chat bot, I guess it's not a bot, but like the chat feature on a website where it's a human on the other end, they'll always be like, how was this? And I always try to say something nice in those because when you're faced with like 100 people every day, just even like that one positive feedback makes such an impact and it's so easy for me to do for that person. Yeah. When it comes to giving a review, it's either somebody's going to give a really good review or a really bad review. The two to four stars doesn't happen a whole lot. That's so true. All right. Well, Nick, we should transition to our very hard rapid fire questioning. Tony, did you want to do it? I like it when you (laughs) 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 knock, knock, who's there? Tony, you do it. (laughs) It's Tony. Okay, so what we're going to do is the rapid fire. We're going to ask you some quick questions. Just go ahead and just give us the answer that just pops into your head. You won't be judged on your answers. Maybe you will. Sorry. Uh, Okay, so (laughs) starting off with when you were little Nick, little young Nick, what did you want to be when you grew up? Man, I wanted to be a professional hockey player. I wanted to be Wayne Gretzky. Wow. He was my uh, a legend. Wait. Yeah, he is. What's uh, your favorite hockey team? Uh, the Red Wings. Detroit Red Wings. Oh, I know. We could be friends still. I just vomited in my mouth. <laughs> Did we just become frenemies? <laughs> just don't throw an octopus at me. That's just a gross <laughs> tradition. I'm never but... taping one of those to my belly. Ugh. Yeah. Sorry. Continue, Tony. I'll mute myself. Did you play hockey? Yeah, I played from uh, age four till I was about 15, 16. And then I, I started playing uh, adult hockey for you know, four or five years as well. Cool. That's amazing. Oh, okay. So talking about community for a second, how do you define community? Community is how do I build a group of people who are not necessarily, who have a single focused goal, who are not like-minded, but you're building 
in adding value to raise all boats. I like that. I feel like we get a lot of similar responses to this, but you, the nuance of what you just said, I think, is important. The singular kind of shared focus. Turning to the bucket list, what is something on your bucket list that you have done? It's been crossed off. Yeah, one thing that I have done just recently is uh, wrote uh, two books. One is called Reasons Not to Focus on Customer Experience. And then the other one is Reasons Not to Focus on Employee Experience. So they're going to have, those are the two amazing titles. And then they're going to have tables of contents like customer experience, customer service, digital transformation, customer lifetime value, executive buy-in. And then it's going to say chapter one, customer experience. And it's going to have a few questions to think about. But then the rest of the book, uh, after every single chapter title, is going to be empty with lined paper because there are no reasons not to focus on the customer and or the employee. Love it. Appreciate you sharing the punchline. I'm excited to see it in real life. I feel like that's going to make a good impression. What about on your bucket list, something still on the bucket list, something you have not yet done? One thing I haven't done is, well, I haven't been a professional hockey player. <laughs> still, still on the list. That's good. Yeah, it's still there. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get these amazing quads that I can like implement or implant, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I like to skydive. I think I want to put that on my on my personal list. Maybe do it in like Hawaii or something. That would be really cool. I would like to get my private pilot's license. Ooh, that's a, that. Oh, that's killer. That's fun. You have to learn all kinds of crazy stuff for that. I was reading up on it a bit and like learning different kinds of clouds and atmospheric conditions and all, all kinds of fun things. So yeah, that's, that's a good one to keep on the list. I think it's more, has a higher probability of happening than being a professional hockey player. You never know. You never know. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about books. Is there a book in particular that you are just absolutely loving that you would like everyone to know about? Yeah. So uh, Julian, you touched on a little bit. Never Split the Difference is a really good one. Highly recommend that one since we were geeking out about it all day. You know, another one that I, a lady I interviewed here recently, Kendra Hall, she wrote a book called Stories That Stick. She's all about storytelling and it's everybody's got a story, Re regardless if you're building a community or you are trying to, you just assume that you don't have a story, but some people will listen to your story for hours and hours because you are a certified plumber, but you have the story of all of these things that you've accomplished and how you've trained others and how others have trained you. You just have to find ways to craft it and to explain the best way to, to go about it. I think that book really helped me. It's all about how storytelling can captivate customers, influence audiences and transform your business. And I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I feel like I need to check that one out literally like right now. Because <laughs> I feel like I've got good stories and sometimes I just need to figure out how to frame it properly. So that's great. In terms of living situation, if you could live somewhere other than where you do live, where would you live? I would say I would like to live in Norway. I think that would be really cool. I've had like my family is originally from Norway and I've always wanted to go back and do like a cruise out there. But if I had to live somewhere else. It would be pretty intense. It sounds awesome. Not, I wouldn't live intense, but I would <laughs> maybe live on a ship and I'd be a Viking or something. That would be cold in a tent. That would be intense tents. It would be an intense tent. A professional Viking hockey player. Exactly. I mean, that works. You know, if you're, if you're on international waters in your own vessel, then 
you know, you could create your own professional hockey league for your vessel and uh, could work. And some cruise ships even have ice rinks. There it is. I don't think it's real ice, but you know, details. Minor details. I think we can hack this. All right. One last thing, Nick, aside from being the world's most fondly remembered professional hockey Viking, how do you want to be remembered? Yeah, I think I touched on a little bit when it comes to the podcast. I want people to say, man, this guy added a ton of value and he had fun serving others. What more could you ask? (laughs) Had fun serving others. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for that, Nick. And where do we find you? Where do we find your organization on the internets, on the socials? And where do we purchase your books? Yeah. Yeah, you can purchase my my book. Just go to Amazon. You can go to my website, pressonefornick.com. You can go to, I got a YouTube page. You can find me on, uh, search for Press One for Nick. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, You just go and find where this internet thing is and you just type in press one for Nick and you'll find me. (laughs) You'll come right up. I just pictured your website. Obviously, this is not realistic. I pictured your website and it's just like a dial pad. And if you press any of the other numbers, it sends you to like random meme websites. You have to press one. Yeah, it's bad. That's it. That is actually exactly what it is. I don't know how you had any (laughs) idea that was it. I think of a rotary phone, even though that's like... Not a press. You have to like click rotary one for Nick. (laughs) Yeah. Is one or nine? I think it's nine. That's like the longest. It is. It's the longest one. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time. Appreciate having you. Keep up the great work. Keep making people's lives easier on both sides of the phone and otherwise. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to be on your guys' show. All right. Thanks so much, Nick. And uh, please hold for a brief survey after the podcast recording is over. Please hang up and try to call again. Tony, what would you be? Press one for Tony. What would your like, <laughs> what would your call tree, what would be the thing? That is a question that I would probably spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about. So I'll just say I, You're I, I like, I like, <laughs> I feel like press one for Nick is a really cool brand. I would get in way too many tangents playing with phone trees and like unnecessarily complicated ways of reaching me. And Right. Yeah. That was so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's so many different angles to talk about when you're talking about dealing with customers and support. And I could, I could, yeah, I could talk to Nick for hours. I'm actually going to be on his podcast in a couple of weeks to talk about similar stuff. So I, I get to keep going, but yeah, I think, you know, um, as we talked about, there's, there's so much overlap when you think about community and you think about customers and experience and same with employee experience. I mean, it's all very similar and kind of the bottom line or the TLDR, as I like to say all the time, you know, it's like we're human, treat each other kindly. Like it's, it's this radical concept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think the recognizing the humanity of the people that we're dealing with in support is one piece of it. Approaching it with an attitude of compassion is a good start. And then balancing that with the humanity and the needs of the people who are dealing with those people in your organization and creating ample opportunity for those people's needs to be accounted for when they might spend a lot of their day dealing with people and, you know, the emotional draining nature of that and and what goes with that. So, you know, those two pieces I think are just super important. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, there's such a, a pressure, be it if it's your job or just 
in everyday life because you're probably interacting with someone at their job at some point, but it's like to resolve things quickly and move on. And, you know, talking to Nick, I kind of think like, maybe we should challenge that. Obviously, we don't want to hold anyone up or vice versa, but just acknowledging like, hey, you're a human at work. I appreciate you, you know, so like patience and compassion and just treating each other like, like human beings. Yeah. I mean, I think it's become like in a strict kind of like business sense, you know, the call center is thought of as a cost center of, you know, the more time that a customer spends on the phone with a human, the more it costs us. And, you know, I understand kind of the sentiment behind that, but if we reimagine that a bit and just play with the assumptions and say, well, you know, first of all, let's at least have the reps not think of it that way to not think like, oh, every person that calls is someone that is draining our energy. And, you know, the the quicker I get them off, the better. And I think that that attitude shift, well, it's one of the ways that we can, we can do business differently and we can build community differently. Yeah. And, and you know, I want to say like part of building business and part of building community is about deciding where we want to reinforce existing cultural norms and where we want to start creating new ones. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the pandemic has really brought the opportunity, right, between the great resignation and people saying it's not worth it to me to work in these jobs that are exhausting because they're customer facing and whatnot. People are leaving in droves and then it's creating, you know, the people who stay now have to deal with that plus, you know, because they're short staffed everywhere where I live has a help wanted sign. And it's a great opportunity for companies to say, you know what, this uh, very capitalist mindset that's, you know, people are numbers and time is money. Like it doesn't work, you know, and maybe it does in your industry, whatever. I mean, point being, let's challenge it. We have, I I mean, the world's falling apart. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, not to get too much into the, like the, uh, the capital side of things, but there's other forms of capital. And so you don't need to change the idea of trying to, you know, build something that's profitable, but just to think about the social capital that you're building up by being a, an organization that people really care about and that clearly cares about the people that, that call it. Social capital leads to financial capital and vice versa. There's a lot of ways that you can transpose those capitals. A great example of that is Zappos. It works for them. And guess what? Amazon bought them for over a billion dollars. Them taking calls about anything, like it works. It's not like it's a this or that. So I wanted to just touch on um, something we talked about that I thought was just so important when we were talking about de-escalation and conflict and just all of those things. I mean, the common thing we kept coming back to was was listening, the, the, the concept of tactical empathy, which is amazing, and just the importance of people feeling heard, whatever your strategy is. And I say strategy, but I mean that in a very like it should be coming from a place of wanting to help. But it's that, you know, active listening, it's the open-ended questions, it's repeating back to make sure you do understand and and getting clarification until you truly understand the thing. I think that it's a great, just big takeaway to come away with is, you know, for your customers, for your members of your community, members of your team, if they feel heard, then you're going to get good outcomes. Absolutely. And I think being willing to work with someone to a resolution, even if you don't get to maybe their first ask, 
of that resolution, like that might not be possible. But if they know you're trying and you can't make it all the way, but you, you know, you can find a, some sort of version of that, they're going to be happy. And that's hopefully your, your ultimate goal. Get them saying yes. <laughs> Say those last three words. Let us know how you end up doing if you practice your communications differently or how you direct other people to do so. We'd love to hear it. We're at Team SPI on Twitter. And we'd love to just hear uh, what you think about this episode. And if you want to practice your communication skills tweeting at us, that's cool. We can we can work it. Otherwise, we'll catch you on the next episode of The Community Experience. This has been The Community Experience. For more information on this episode, including links and show notes, head over to smartpassiveincome.com slash listen. All right. You can find Nick at press1fornick.com. And like he said, if you just look for Press One for Nick on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the places, he will come right up. Also, his books. Definitely go check them out either on his website or on Amazon. So go give Nick a follow and we'll see you next week. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our series producers are David Grabowski and senior producer Sarah Jane Hess. Editing and sound design by Duncan Brown. Music by David Grabowski. See you next time.